we're excited about this series that we're in. It's really a series on discipleship. And uh, we call it One to One. And if you haven't yet, you can download the app and you can follow along the app. It's, it's here for two reasons. One is to disciple you. And it's also here to help you disciple other people. This is the command that Jesus gave the church. He said, go and make disciples in all the world. Teach them the things that I've taught you. So did you know that to be a fulfilled individual in Christ, uh, there's nothing greater than you being able to teach somebody else about Jesus? It's wonderful. And so we, di we discuss things uh, interwoven in here, things, the three parts of discipleship, I guess you could call it. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a big subject, but in it, there's justification, which means that we've been made right with God. Uh, we're in right standing with God. There's no greater place to be than in right standing with God. A lot of people are not. Then there's sanctification, and that's the process where God begins to work deeply in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus. That's what God is doing with many of you right now. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not, but God hasn't called us to have fun. He's called us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then the last part of that is, is glorification, which we're all looking for, and that's the future that's coming when Jesus comes, when everything takes place, we're going to be glorified. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. You say, Pastor, explain glorification in detail. I don't know all about it, but I know it's going to be good. <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> I want to begin today with Matthew chapter 4 and uh, verse 17. This is where Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He has, he has come, uh, overcome the temptation of the enemy. And uh, some of the first words he speaks, I love, I love the, pre the, 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 the premise, the, the, uh, the principle of first mention, the principle of what took place first in the Bible. That's why Genesis is so important. But Jesus steps out uh, on, on the playing field of, of, his, of his ministry, his public ministry. And he says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Can we pray together? Because we really need to get this word today. Father, we are just standing here worshiping you and believing that you're able to touch our hearts deeply and to bring truth to our inner man. We pray, Lord God, that your word will be exalted, that Jesus will be lifted up, and that through that, Father, you will draw men to yourself. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Not just turning from sin, but turning to Jesus. It also is a change of thinking or a change of the direction in your life. And every individual, no matter who you are, no matter when this transpires, has got to take place. Some it's when you're young. Some it's when you're old. Some it's when you haven't sinned a lot though you're a sinner separated. And for some, it's, man, you've been down in the ditch a long time. I never like to glorify the ones who, you know, I was a murdering, rapist, drunk, drug addict, and say, boy, you know, God is great in your life, and then dispel the idea that because I went to Sunday school my whole life and I grew up in church in a nice Christian home, that somehow or other, my testimony is not as powerful. Look, turning is turning. Yeah. And Jesus is glorified in that turning. It's like driving a vehicle down the wrong side of a one-way street. You know what I mean? It's like Boudreaux. <laughs> Boudreaux, he, man, he's from Mamou, and he come to Baton Rouge one day. He got to buy some boots. He was going to the boot store down on 3rd Street, down in Baton Rouge. 
And he come to the corner. Third Street is a, it's a one-way street. It runs just one way. And, he, and they had a police officer, Thibodeau. And Thibodeau, no Boudreaux. They grew up together in Memu. They, at the festivals, they used to chase the chickens. They'd catch the chickens, cook them up, and make a gumbo. Or a jambalaya, even. And so he's, he, he, he get ready to turn his car down to go the wrong way. And Thibodeau stopped him. He's a police officer now. He didn't got the big time. And he said, Boudreaux, man, you can't go down that way. You can't, you can't go down that way. And Boudreaux, he looked. He said, Thibodeau, I'm going to the boot store. The boot store right over there. I got to get me, I might get some knee boot, some hip boot. I don't know, maybe some ankle boot. I'm not sure. But I'm going down there. And, and Thibodeau said, Boudreaux, you, you can't go that way. He, he looked. He looked down. He looked at Thibodeau. He looked down. He looked at Thibodeau. He said, oh, I think I can make it. <laughs> some of you are going to get that <clears throat> tomorrow at lunch. And you're just going to start laughing and laughing. You're going to understand Matter of fact, Friday night, Jan and I went Bay St. Louis, and lo and behold, I had this in my notes already, and uh, we turned down a street. I said, baby, I don't know, but I think I'm going the wrong way down a one-way street. And sure enough, when I got to the end of it, there was the one-way sign pointing in the opposite direction. I didn't repent. I just kept going, man. It was too late to repent. I hope it's not too late for some of you to repent today. Some people going down the one-way street of ignorance. And some it's because of rebellion. And some it's just because that's what you want to do. But I'll tell you, sooner or later, you need to go ahead and turn around because every step you make in the wrong direction is a step further and further away from God. And what's in the balance here is not just, wow, I'm happy or I had a bad day or it's been a hard season in my life. What's in balance here is eternal destination, heaven or hell. So very important. And then sometimes, you know, when we find ourselves in situations, we get kind of sorrowful or we get, we get, we get grief about it. You know what I mean? And I want to contrast the difference between godly grief and worldly grief. Godly grief makes no excuses. I mean, none whatsoever. It takes full responsibility, never places blame on people or society or environment or circumstances. It acknowledges that our sin is primarily against God. I mean, that's, that's the Bible calls it godly grief or godly sorrow. Godly grief produces true repentance and it produces a changed life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, for godly grief or some of you know it as godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief is, it, it really, it, it, it only produces excuses. Someone once said that there are many reasons for things but no excuses, and I think that's true. There's many reasons why I could be hateful and angry, but there's no excuses. There's many reasons why I could leave my wife or leave a spouse or, or leave a job, but there's no excuses. There's many reasons to get bitter in life, but no excuses. Worldly grief usually takes place when we get caught. We wouldn't have stopped unless we got caught. Many of us have been through that, haven't we? We get caught, all of a sudden it's in the light and it's like, I'm so sorry. But really, we're not so sorry. We're just sorry that we got caught because now we got to deal with the grief. We got to deal with the pain that our actions have brought into our life because if it wouldn't got caught, we would have just kept on doing it. Getting caught really is good 
It's how we answer to getting caught that really makes the difference. So the ultimate difference between godly grief and worldly grief is the fruit. Worldly grief can never produce a change in your life. It never produces a transformed life. It's really counterfeit repentance. So it has no power. It's like the two trees that the Lord planted in the garden. I love the book of Genesis. You need to understand the book of Genesis so that you can understand the New Testament and why Jesus had to come. But God put two trees in the garden. He put, the, he put a lot of trees, but there were two main trees that he, he, he spoke to Adam and Eve about. The tree of life, which is Jesus. You'll see him all through the scriptures. You'll see him in Genesis, the tree of life. You see the tree of life in Revelation. And did he put in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And he told Adam and Eve, he said, I don't want you to mess with that tree. What's so hard when we tell somebody not to mess with something? Why is it so difficult when we tell, when, when something is forbidden, why is it that we constantly have to dance around it? You just tell a kid, don't touch that ink pen and leave the room. It's everything in their innermost being to keep them from messing with what you told them not to mess with. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when it was partaken of, we could say it's worldly. It's what God did not want them to take, take into their life, and so they did. And what did it bring into their life? It brought exposure and shame. They were always naked. They didn't wear clothes back then. So evidently they had some kind of innocency or some kind of covering that kept them from noticing that they were naked and so they weren't ashamed. But as soon as they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed and so they tried to make fig leaves into clothing and that didn't work real well. It, it, it caused them to hide from God. You can always tell whether or not you know Jesus or not is if you're hiding from him, you probably don't know him. You hide in shame, you hide in guilt embarrassment. It produced pride in their life. It's full of pride. It's, it's like saying I have no need of change. I'm just going to be full of pride. I'm defensive. It, excuses. It creates an atmosphere of blame shifting. Oh, it was so hilarious, really. God comes and says, you know, why didn't you eat of that tree? I thought I told you not to. And Adam immediately says, the woman you gave me, she caused me to do it. Now, I don't know if he was blaming the woman or he was blaming God, but he was shifting the blame. We love to shift the blame. I would not have done that if you would not have said that. <laughs> and then he goes to the woman and, and what does she say? The serpent, he beguiled me. He tricked me. And so no one wants to take responsibility for their actions. And until we take responsibility for our actions, more than likely, we're never going to get into a place of true repentance. In contrast, the tree of life, who is Jesus, if they would have partaken of that tree first, they would have kept their innocence. They would have been unashamed. They would have not hid from God. They would have been intimate with God. They would have walked with him continually in the cool of the day. And more than likely, everybody would be still walking with God in the cool of the day. Brought humility, they accepted responsibility. Sooner or later, they did. Sooner or later, everyone has to be responsible and say, I am what I am because, and not blame God and other people. 
Let me tell you something, folks. We can blame our parents just for a short period of time, and then after that, you're on your own. Don't blame the school teacher who didn't like you in the fourth grade. That just goes for a little while. That'll last a couple of days in school, and then you've got to get over it. This thing of excuses is amazing. You know what else the tree of life does? It, it gives us a Christ-centered lifestyle. And it produces in us a transformed life, which is the whole point of discipleship. It's the whole point of why Jesus has us doing what we're doing. We're doing this in order to build you up. This worship that we just had, you know, the byproduct of worshiping God and really lifting him up is that when he's lifted up, if you're in him, you're lifted up too. And I don't mean that in a prideful way. I mean that I'm encouraged. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes, Lord, your word is true and you are for me and not against me. When you get that revelation in your heart, your whole life changes. It really does. You see, real repentance begins when we're truly sorrow for our sins, when there's real godly grief and godly sorrow. And so we want to share a story with you from the scriptures that Jesus shared that I think is going to paint the picture for us and show us what true repentance really, really looks like. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus told a story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he, he moved to a distant land and, and there he, he wasted all his money and while living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. We'll just stop right there in the story. Just a tremendous story. Some of you know it as the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wild, you know, rambunctious living, cruel living, unrestrained lifestyle. And many of us, all of us are like the second son. All of us have been separated sons. Understand this was the son of the father. The son, a type and shadow of us. The father, a type and shadow of the Lord. Just like Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and separated themselves from God, we died in them and so all men are separated. We're teaching you this through this entire series that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how good you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter how smart you are, you're separated from God until you come to Christ. And there's only one way to get together with God, and that's through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so this younger son, some of his attributes were just amazing. He was so proud. I and mean, he said, you know, uh, I, I want what my father has. I want to be like my father without going through the process. Give me my money now. One of the great tactics of the enemy is to hurry your life up. We think it's just part of the way we are, but everybody's in a hurry to go nowhere. I mean, you, you hear what I'm saying? And now some of that is good because it presses us to achieve and we need to achieve. But let me tell you something. God has processes for your life that he will not hurry up. He has processes he wants you to go through. And if you snake your way out of them, no pun intended, if you snake your way out of his process, he's just going to send you right back through it again. There's no social promotion with God. He said, oh, you didn't, you didn't get it? Come on back around, and here it comes again. Oh, you didn't overcome offense? Well, let me feed a little bit more offense into your life. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you don't know how to take orders from the boss? Well, let me just get you another boss that'll give you more orders. <laughs> this young man was full of pride. Satan loves to hurry you up. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. If you'll eat this tree, you'll be like God. Shortcut. Here's the younger son. Give me my money now. Instead of waiting for the process, it was all his to begin with. Everything I have, my kids already have. The only thing keeping them from getting it is I'm still alive. <laughs> and I'm not sure, but I might want to spend everything I have. <laughs> he was self-centered. He never thought about his family, what it would mean to his father, what it would do to the family. He was just self-centered. Give it to me now. I want it now. I want it complete. I'm not worried about the pain. And I'm never going to take a look at what my desire for temporary pleasure is going to do to those around me. He never saw that. He moved out from the father's house, the very place of protection and, and coverage. I mean, it was, what's, what's better than living in your father's house, man? Servants there doing the job, all the bills are paid. It's just a great place to live. He forsook the wisdom of his father, which made the money that he got and the money that he squandered. It's like, give it to me now, I don't need anything. All I need is money, and if you give me money, it'll be all right. But I'm gonna tell you something, it's already been proven over and over again, money don't make the man. And if you're dumb before you get money, you're gonna be dumb after you get money. <laughs> and if you can't manage a dollar, you're not gonna manage a million dollars. And if you won't give when you make $100, don't tell me you're gonna give if you make $5,000 or $5 million. So he get all mixed up in this and he was all mixed up. He took a subpar job feeding pigs when he could have been a manager over the people in his father's house feeding pigs. You know what it is? People are living subpar lives continually. Not the life that Jesus ever intended for people to live, but people are living it. Why? Because we want it now, we want it fast, we want to do it our way, and we're not interested in covering our authority or anything. Just give it to me now. And we go full speed ahead down a one-way street. The story continues. The young man, I mean, you got to figure this young man. He wasn't used to this. He had been in the father's house all of his life, good living. And then he had money for a long time. You can imagine him up in the town there, up in the club, buying drinks for everybody. You know what I mean? Got his women with him. He's looking good, doing the latest dance move, you know? I mean, you got you to just picture this young guy, man. He's flowing. He got the latest clothes on, you know, man. He's just all right. Now he's in the pig pen, far far from what he was used to. Double tough on the young man. Verse 17 here says, when he finally came to his senses. Now he's in the pig pen. He's in the mess. All the excuses are gone. Everything's messed up. And he begins to think. It's good to think about your life. He begins to think and he comes to his senses. You can just see him. He's shoveling pig manure. And all of a sudden, it's like throws the shoulder down and says, wait a minute here. And the Bible says he said to himself, Jesus said he said to himself, at home, come on, that's a good place. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger, subpar life. I will go home 
to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Notice, heaven first. Folks, listen. When we live in sin, it's against heaven first of all. First of all, David, when he sinned against Bathsheba and then murdered her husband to cover up the pregnancy, he, when he was caught by the prophet and he was broken and came to his senses, he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Same thing that this young man saw here. He said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Now, he's thinking this, you understand? He hasn't done this yet. He's thinking this. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's thinking about this. And so he returned to his father. I want to tell you something. That was a mighty quiet journey. From, the Bible said he went into a far land, so he wasn't like around the corner. He was like over the hill through the valley. He was, in a, he was way over there, and he had to come back, and he had no shoes, got no nothing. He's just making his way back to the Father. Can I share this with you? That when you know the Lord and then you backslide, come on, and you just leave him in the ditch somewhere, and then you go do your thing, it's a little bit tougher to come back. And if you keep playing that game with God, every time it gets a little bit tougher to come back. And you got a little bit less of what you need. No shoes. No authority. No money. No food. No nothing. And in his mind, he's doing this. And so finally his mind, finally something takes place, which is just fantastic. He returns home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. So what took place here? What, what, what takes place? What, what is the, the avenue of repentance? How does it work in a person's life? First of all, you have to come to your senses. That's all there is to it. You've got to come to a place where your conscience comes alive and begins to work properly. If you're in this room this morning... And you feel bad, I want to tell you that that may be good. The idea of always coming to church and saying, I got to feel good in church and I've got to leave feeling good, is not even in the Bible. If you're away from the Lord right now, maybe you've never come to Him like I was 36 years ago this coming week. Or maybe you've come to him and you just kind of pushed it on the side and said, well, whatever. And you're, you've got the grace of God underneath your feet. and you're not, You know, the first thing that has happened, your conscience has to come alive. Because a seared conscience just doesn't come to God. And so his conscience came alive. Your conscience comes alive. Your eyes are open to the reality of really what's going on in your life. And you realize how far you are away from home. Because the enemy just wants you to come out the house. Just come out the house and let me kill you. Just come on out. People leave the house of God, leave God, leave the church, leave the presence of the Lord, leave the principles of the word every day. And then you're on your own. And that's not a good place. He responded to his conscience. He came to his senses and he responded and he said, you know, wow, I've got to turn around. There's got to be a change of direction. And when he got up out of that pig pen and he began to walk home, that was the U-turn in his life. That's when things begin to really happen. He took responsibility for his actions. He didn't blame his daddy any longer. 
He didn't blame the bartender. He didn't blame the drug dealer. He didn't blame the promiscuous women. He took full responsibility, no excuses. I could just hear his conversation on the way home. I've been stupid. I'm a fool. I can't believe. I mean, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe. This is amazing. I, I just don't know. But the closer he got to the father's house, something began to transpire in his life in a great way. The closer you get to that place where you're going to find God, you're going to get back right with God, something in you begins to rise up. There's just an encouragement that begins to take place and, and because you know the resurrected king is resurrecting you and it's like something good is happening. I don't know all what's going to happen. If you need to know everything that happens when you come to God, you probably never will come to God. He humbled himself. My goodness. He left a proud young man, good looking with all his stuff and a pocket full of money. And he had to humble himself and come back and say, I'm undone. I'm a wretch. He took action. He returned home. Some of you need to take action today. Some of you need to take action today. Some of you, come on, let's be honest. Some of you are so dried up you couldn't find God with a, with a magnifying glass. You're so dried up. Some of you used to have to have fire inside of you that you love the Lord, and now it's like you don't even think about him. It's time to repent. Repentance is the fountain of youth. The wonderful thing is, you know the amazing thing is in this story? The father was looking down the road because the father is always looking. God is always looking for that one, that 10, that 100, that thousands of people that are turning from wickedness and worldliness and saying, God, you must have the answers. Watch this. The father sees him way far away. Let me tell you something. Every dad knows their son. They know their walk, their gait. They've watched him from the day they were born. He saw his son coming over that little hill down the driveway far away. He looked a little bit more intent, a little more intent. You know, I, I believe that's him. I, I, I do believe that's him. That is him. And the father took off running. Can't you just see this? A picture of God running, the great initiator of reconciliation, running. And the Bible says that he was moved with love and compassion. Those are the two attributes, love and compassion. We read it in the one-year Bible in Psalms this morning. God is a God of love and compassion. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. He, he didn't ask him to go take a bath first. He, you know, you can imagine what this young man smelled like. Come on, let's get real. And this filthy he didn't, he didn't question, where's all your money? What happened to you? He, he didn't say, you know, I tried to tell you uh, to just wait here at the house till I died and you'd have it all. He didn't, he didn't lecture him. He fell on his neck and he embraced him and he kissed him. And that's the nature of God. That's what God does when people repent. Man, as soon as he did that, he called the servants. He said, bring, put some shoes on this boy's feet. He's not a servant, he's a son. Put a robe on his back, a royal robe. He's part of my family. And give him a ring on his finger, the ring of the family authority. 
This is what God does to every person who turns from wickedness and sin, repents, changes their mind, follows after God. He instantly reinstates people. This is the glorious gospel. This is the good news that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you've said or what you're involved in this very moment right now or what's hanging over your head in judgment, none of that matters. God says, come here right now. Let me embrace you. You smell like a pig, but I love you. This is the God we serve. This is the great God. This is the Lord. You see, real repentance, it causes you to have this relationship Quickly, I want to just show you this relationship in one flash, flash drive in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Jesus, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This is the perfect example of a, of, a, of a pure relationship with God. We are, there's no darkness in God at all. Everything to do with God, we walk in pure innocence. We, we, we walk where, where our heart is right with God and our conscience is pure and clean. And if it ever gets defiled, we repent and we're cleansed again. It's walking in the light, it's living in the light, it's a more intimate relationship. It's a true relationship with the king. Some of you are scared of God. Some of you still look at yourself and you won't approach God. Quit looking at yourself and start looking at him. See the light in him so that it will become light in you. This is where you need to go. It it takes humility, this real relationship. Man, he says if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you. The word confess doesn't mean I'm going to tell God something he doesn't already know. It means I'm agreeing with God on things he's already seen and knows. He sees everything we do, every thought we have, every action, every motive of the heart. He knows every thought we're going to think 100 years from now. He knows everything about us. And so I like that. You know why I like that? Because he hadn't killed me yet. And so he must be a God of compassion. And it's Christ-centered. If you keep Christ as the focal point of your life, life will be different. Life was different for this young boy. I guarantee you one thing. I bet he never left that house again. So how do we apply this in our lives, folks? Look, what can we take to the bank? What can we bring with us away from today that tomorrow we will be able to use? Let's just ask four questions real quick. I want you to just meditate on these questions real quick. Is your life going in a new direction? What I'm asking you is this. Has there been a change? Can you pinpoint the time? Now, I can to the minute. April 22nd, 1980 at 7.15 p.m. It was drizzling rain outside. I was in my living room. I was on the west side of my living room on a beige couch. And then I knelt on a brown carpet and I confessed my sins to God and he changed my life. 
You may not remember that. You might say, well, it was in the summer of 1982, or, or it might have been the summer of 1997, or 2005, or, or it was when I went to summer camp, or it was when I went through a divorce, or it was when I was in jail, or wherever it was. We got to pinpoint. Somehow or another, we got to know that we came to God, that we turned, that there was a place of repentance. Number two, are there are sinful areas in your life that are still a struggle. Are you still struggling with sin? Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you repent afresh today? Why don't you just say, Lord, today I repent of my sin. I'm going to put it away from me. Don't get tired of repenting. Number three, are there areas of intense temptation or consistent weakness that you need prayer for? This is what I suggest you to break your cycle today before you leave this place. There will be people in front of this room to pray for you. Will you come and will you let somebody pray for you? You don't have to give them all the details. You don't even have to tell them what it is. You just need to say, would you please agree with me in prayer to break the cycle of sin that is in my life? And when God sees your heart, he will move on your behalf as you agree in prayer. Don't leave. Some of you, I know it. See, I've passed long enough to know. People will come with a burden of sin and they will leave out of the back door with a burden of sin. When God has given you a chance to repent, and be cleansed and have a new point of view in your life. And lastly, are there sins that you have turned away from, but you still feel condemned about it? You just still feel like, you know what? Mm, I'm condemned still. It's time for you to get free. You got to understand this, that true repentance puts things that were in front of you, behind you. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived. You can't out bad God. And when you're walking, you got all these things in front of you and your life is in shambles and you just hate yourself and people or whatever, maybe even God, when you repent those things that were in front of you, now they are behind you. On the front of the cross, Jesus was nailed naked shamed and killed for our sins. But on the other side of the cross, it's clean, it's pure, it's a new life. Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Come on, you who, you've been walking with Jesus, but maybe you've been in darkness, maybe you've just been dabbling out there. You know what I mean? You didn't go all the way into the city from the Father's house, but you're somewhere in between, and you kind of pull be between the two. Should I stay in the Father's house, which is the kingdom of God, which is the local church? Or I think I'm going to venture further out in the world there and just see what it's like. I would suggest that you seek the Lord right now, and you turn right now. Come on, get back in the house where your inheritance is. But then some of you, you're just out there. That's where I was. Oh, life is great, but not really great. It seems good, but not really good. Because there is a yearning inside of you to be pure and clean. Your conscience has been awakened today. Even some of you in this very room, this very moment, your conscience has come alive. And you find yourself saying, I am undone. I cannot stand in the presence of a holy God 
there has to be a change. The good news for you is that if you have come to your senses this morning, there's hope for you at the cross of Calvary. If you're ready in this room to receive Jesus, ready to repent, ready to get to the Father's house and be forgiven, I want to pray with you because it's going to be a simple prayer. We don't have to walk over a mountain and through a valley with bare feet on rocky ground. Jesus did that for us on the road to Calvary. We need to simply accept with an open heart. I'm going to pray for you right where you are while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're in this place right now and you say, Pastor Van, that's me. I want Jesus today. I want to repent of my sin. I want to come to Christ. I want to get in the Father's house. Shoot your hand up real quick and just put it down. I want to pray for you. There's a hand here, 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 here. Over here to my right. Thank you. Over here in the back. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Come on now. It's not because you got caught here. This is not worldly grief and sorrow. This is Lord God. My life is going against your will for my life. Anybody else? Shoot your hand up if you haven't. Come on, if you haven't. Just shoot it up. Come on. Come on. You've been waiting for this moment your whole life. You simply need to receive him. There is no other way. There is no other hope. I dare say that if you don't repent and face God, your life will crumble beneath your feet. Anybody else in this room before I pray? Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Can I help you like somebody helped me one day? Because you know what? Back in 1980, I didn't have a clue of what I was getting into. But my life is better in Christ than it ever could have been without him. You who raise your hand, your heart is open. Repeat this simple prayer after me. Say these words after me. Say, Father in heaven, I have sinned against you and I repent of my sin. I change my thinking. I turn from my sin and I thank you for a new life in Jesus. I give you my complete heart. I am yours. Do with me what you want. I surrender my entire life. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen and amen and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.